Hey guys, before we get started, we wanted to let you know that in this episode we discuss some particularly difficult topics, including trauma and assault, which some listeners may find triggering. If this is something you don't want to hear today, please skip over this episode. And if these subjects are something you are currently struggling with, we invite you to look at the resources listed in the show notes. And we want you to know, as a synopsis, don't give up, it gets better, and we love you. Welcome to Polly Pages. Books. <laughs> the podcast where genuine Polly people read the texts that have shaped our community and culture. I'm Claire. And I'm Sebastian. And on this season, we're reading The Ethical Slut, third edition, by Janet Hardy and Dossie Easton. I'll come out when I'm ready. Don't lock the door. Take me in. Hi, Sebastian. Where are you? I'm in my apartment, Claire. With, Where are you? With me. No way. <laughs> so in this episode, we are talking about chapter six, which is entitled Building a Culture of Consent. Yeah. Um, and so the first thing we want to do, before we get any farther, I think, is just define quite clearly what consent is. Yeah. And that's um, the first thing the chapter does as well, yeah. is that, I mean, what what do you consider to be consent? Um I'm pretty sure we have the same definition, yeah. but for the listeners. Yeah. I mean, consent is like a good and sincere yes. An enthusiastic and Enthusiastic. Yes. I like, that's how you I Like, fuck yeah, I want to do this. It's yeah. going to be fucking great. Anything less than that, like, is not really... It's not something so You want. don't want to ever feel like, like, if you don't feel 100% that that's what the other person wants, then take a step back yeah. and figure out why that feeling is there. Because that's wanna... not a good feeling. The but this is also about not just consent in a in a person to person setting, but this is definitely this chapter is talking about consent like a community where there is a culture of consent and how to build that right. and why to build that, right. and um, and I I like the phrase that they have in here when it's not a safe, accepted, or welcomed to say mm-hmm. no thank you to sex. Right. So it needs to be safe to do that, which. Right they get into later that it yeah. might not be it needs to be accepted like just as normal as saying yes right. and with absolutely no stigma attached and it needs right. to even be welcomed by everyone in the room like oh cool that's absolutely like awesome i, I it's not just fine that you don't want to do this it's great let's do something else like it's not right it's, a it's problem not... you don't ever feel as the person saying no yeah. that you're letting down the culture or right. something and you don't want to feel pressured into saying yes like it, it needs to be given freely yeah so that's um... the kind of like culture that, yeah. that this chapter is talking about building. And before we kind of get into why we need to do that, which is the next kind of bit of the mm-hmm. chapter, I just want to say, like, I don't find this chapter particularly polyamory heavy. No. Like, none of... I don't even think they mention polyamory or non-monogamy, yeah. um, I mean, like, all the way through until maybe the end, which we'll get to when they talk about clean love. Yeah, they do talk a little bit about, like, sort of sexual communities, which I, I think is kind of tying to like sort of groups where these things are particularly important Mm -hmm. because of relationships that tie them together or interactions that tie them together. So I think that kind of touches on it because clearly in a monogamous setting, like you wouldn't have that tie through everybody necessarily. Yeah. Um, But I agree. Like it's not, this is not directly targeted at polyamory because it's, it's a thing that everybody in every type of relationship. I mean, I would like to live in a culture of consent generally. Right all the time but we don't and right. as they get into mm-hmm. um they have this nice anecdote about dossie giving a lecture on mm-hmm. consent there's about 200 people in the room and she asked anyone who hasn't been um sexually who had never been sexually assaulted to stand up mm-hmm. um and like a lot of people did only about a quarter stood up so only a quarter like 50 people out of 200 had never been assaulted yeah. which obviously is just in this lecture hall and just in the situation right. presumably in america but like Mm-hmm. that is not good the ratio i'd want That's out of any room of 200 people yeah to to be able to be like oh i'm in the minority because i haven't been sexually assaulted mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. that's i think i like i like the anecdote i wish they had included some statistics but i yeah. guess the statistics would have aged with the book pretty right. pretty quickly and yeah. maybe i should have done some research on this but yeah, I'm sure i didn't i've got loads I mean... of research so okay. um so sexual freedom is dependent on two very important conditions this is like 
I think the the core part of like mm-hmm. how to build this culture mm-hmm. that they're talking about, right? Is they need to have two conditions: mm-hmm. freedom from sexism and freedom from rape. And this is both individually and like as a community. Mm-hmm. Um, so way to set the bar low, Hardy and Easton. <laughs> like, these these when I read this, it just seemed impossible. Yeah. I don't, how did you feel when you read that? I mean, I think as they talk about it more, like I think they expound on what they mean by that. Um, and I think, I mean, what, what they say next is like in those types of situations, because there's a whole range of how people can violate consent from very serious things that are really direct mm-hmm. to, to more things that are sort of, um, I don't want to say blurry and not to make that they're, they're less bad, but maybe less severe violations of consent mm, i just don't like less severe I, I don't i don't think less severe because but like as as they point out like what is uh severe for one person might not be for another person right. um but i think that you're right like they they say in this they they're definitely trying to draw these distinctions right that there are multiple ways that you could right. make a freedom from sexism and freedom from rape right difficult mm-hmm. um one is by violating them one is i guess by like being um, like, oh God, like creating an atmosphere is what they use, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay, let me read directly from the book, maybe. Okay. Um, so, major violations include drugging someone and then raping them, violent rape, child molestation, and any intentional violation of another person's stated limits. Mm-hmm. These are all serious crimes, although often hard to, to prosecute. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, is like what they're talking about. It's like the first group. Right, and I think that's what, you know, if you were to ask somebody what they think of generally as like, like violating consent or, or that type of thing. This is, that's the kind of thing that people would probably come to mind first. Like these very much more clearly identified things that are very clearly like violating somebody. Yeah. And I um, think that, that in these situations that they've given, it, like the both, both parties know this is a violation. It's happening anyway. And right. it's individual to individual. Right. And these, are unfortunately hard to prosecute but there's not really like an ambiguity right whereas the next sentence they have is other violations require some discussion because the accused doesn't feel they've done anything wrong and i think this is when freedom from sexism comes in right when somebody might have maybe just been like coercive or like just pressured or just kept asking until essentially someone gave in to what they wanted to do like let's say you had a hard limit at a play party and that hard limit was on any anal play, for example. And so almost just keep kind of like, keep, oh, oh, sorry, like right. slip or keep asking you to cross right. that limit until eventually you felt like, oh, okay, I guess I'll try it. Right. That's still a violation of their right. clearly defined boundaries and right. consent. Um, but the person might not actually think that they did anything wrong. It's not, mm-hmm. it's almost not as intentional as the first group. Of right. Because think. you still then, you you know, somebody could feel like, well... Like, I was pushy, but they did agree at the end, so I didn't really... I mean, yeah. And that's, like, some of the things they say there, like, verbal offenses, like, pushy come-ons, or arguing with somebody, or, you know, um, pushing back, um, or edging kind of someone's edging limits. somebody's limits. Yeah, and these um, create an atmosphere of, kind of, danger in a yeah. community, but also right. individually is still, mm-hmm. um, still, uh... Yeah. Well, still a violation, right. and, still an assault. And I think when you're trying to build a sex-positive community, like... It's very easy if somebody were to, to commit what we call the sort of hard, you know, straight, the, the more easily defined things to say, okay, this person did that. We don't want them here. Mm-hmm. But these other behaviors that society doesn't always frown upon and some of them are almost expected from people. Mm-hmm. Like then it's, uh, and we get into this more later, like it turns into this, like he said, she said, or he said, he said, or she said, she said, or they said, they said, want to be inclusive <laughs> like here. all of the pronouns said right. versus all of the pronouns right, that, said. <laughs> Yeah, it becomes, um, so what, what I, again, I want to read from the book because I think this book is really well where it says, there's like an absurd cultural insistent that in sex, men should be the initiators, initiators and women Mm -hmm. are the withholders. Now we've discussed that in a previous episode and we've told everyone how stupid we think it is, Um, but we would be remiss if we didn't couch discussions of consent culture in that because it's a power dynamic that's everywhere. Right. And you might not even have thought about it. Right. Like it to, to really get to a place where you can feel as comfortable as possible with everyone giving consent. Yeah. I think people should have to like push through that. 
So they're not thinking like, oh, I meant to be slutty. Like that no is an invitation. Um, Or, oh, I meant to be like saying no. So I'll just keep saying no because I don't want to come off like a whore or whatever. Right. Or I'm meant to be pushy because she's playing coy. And if I assert myself enough, then that's that's how you play the game. So Um, I think they do really well in this in this mm -hmm. kind of page. It's just a page, but they do really well um, as authors of connecting these like very I would say, like, so obvious violations mm-hmm. in my head. Like, obvious mm-hmm. violations, such as, like, child molestation, all the way up to the to the overarching premise of, like, the way that we view sex as a commodity mm-hmm. and women are the holders of those commodities mm-hmm. and men are meant to be getting them no matter what. Yeah. And I think that they do quite a good job of, of getting that sliding yeah. scale in here. Okay. Do you want to move on to the next section? Yeah, um, I think we're gonna keep talking about more things to do with that. So I think we can we can leave that there, and we we've set a good. Um, so in the next section, that's specifically for trauma survivors, mm-hmm. um, and they first of all they go over the the different types of trauma. Mm-hmm. Did um, did you underline those? The individual types of trauma. Well, the the examples that they're giving. Um, I did not underline them specifically. Okay, so they got sexual assault, outright rape. Which I don't really understand. <laughs> like, I don't know what outright rape is. As opposed to covert rape? I don't know what Casual that is. Casual rape? I don't... I, I, I really personally hate any distinction of, like, types of rape, which sometimes mm. happens in the media, and it's like, you have sex and rape. I'd mm-hmm. like to keep that. It's, it's, it's one or the other. Yeah. I Personally, I would like to keep that. Yeah. Um, child sexual abuse, which mm-hmm. is specifically, I think, outlined because there is a certain, like well, a child cannot give consent at all. Right. So it takes away all that coercive element because it's just like you can't. You right. can't give any kind of sexual consent as a child, obviously. And I think it, not that it's in children specifically who are developing, it like can have really profound Good point. and unique impacts because that's, you know, it, it gets tied into their development in a different way um, than an adult. Like the, the repercussions of that can be... Yeah. really overarching in the in the development of a person um in a different way than than a, if when something like that happens to an adult um i think that's fair and um, the last category that they have is medical trauma which um is trauma after any illness injury pain or surgery and often is spoken about as a, as again a childhood mm-hmm. it's not exclusively but again like a childhood medical trauma mm-hmm. can shape the way that an individual views their body pain Mm -hmm. doctors like everything and i think the reasons that they're outlining these um as examples of of severe trauma is because they have major challenges to our whole lives including sex lives and they do speak specifically about sex lives yeah so these are not the only traumas these are not the only types of abuses Mm -hmm. um but they're probably more directly ones that that tie to sex and intimacy yeah and they they exa- they give some examples of some some ways that these traumas or I guess any mm-hmm. trauma would impact our sex lives, which include flashbacks, disassociation, post traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. and just being scared, fearfulness. Yeah. Um, one of the things they talk about in there, sort of to go along with that, is uh, trigger responses. Um, do you want to explain what a trigger response is? I could do that. Um, so a trigger response is. If you have been the victim of any sort of abuse or trauma, um, it's sort of an ingrained, learned reaction to something, Mm -hmm. um, which can sometimes seem to somebody observing from the outside that much sort of much more significant a reaction than than was warranted by what happened. But the reasoning for that is like it's triggering these previous memories and these, these previous traumas. And the feelings that were there. So it brings all these really severe things to the forefront. And something that may have been a relatively modest offense at the time is all of a sudden because of its link to what happened. Like switching your brain into the mode that you were in during that trauma. Um, And so you can have these really a very severe reaction to something that analytically or separately you might be very mild. But because it's awakened these really intense emotions, um, it, it triggers you. Yeah, and I think that at the moment in our culture, for some reason, triggering has become like this, like a cutesy way of saying like I'm pissed at that, right. and like it's used really in passing. It's used very but it's a severe, it's right. a severe um, psychological 
oh, it's a severe psychological right. um, response. And it's, it's understood in that way in both this book and this podcast. We don't use triggering in a light way. Yes. Okay, so having kind of given this overview of what a trauma survivor might be going through, um, um, and it really is really quick, and I'm going to give some further readings in a bit, mm-hmm. but I really like this bit because they just say, like, don't give up. Mm-hmm. Dossie Easton is obviously... Did I say that right? Dossie Easton? Yeah, you got it right. So when you don't think about it, you High get five. it. Yeah. Good job. Um, so Dossie Easton is a therapist, and she handles a lot of, like, when I looked her up as well, she handles a lot of, like trauma survivors and mm-hmm. um, specifically people that are in relationships that they're trying to like get through a trauma with. Um, mm-hmm. And she says like she has so many people that end up living through a trauma. They go through all of these like triggers. They go through disassociation, which we also haven't explained. And maybe we should think flashbacks like PTSD. They And they go on to lead in like free and happy sexual experiences and mm. to reclaim ownership of their bodies, which mm. I just like smiled at. I've, I've underlined it five times. Don't yeah. give up. Um, oh. Yeah, I know. It's good. Yeah. It, um, if, if you're listening out there and this is resonating with you, don't give up. It will get better. Yeah. With just a little bit of collaboration about the safety. Yeah. Um, maybe boundaries creating safe spaces and support and understanding survivors and partners alike can can move on past any kind of sexual right. assault there, there's no there's no reason why yeah. you'd have you should give up like and I think be patient you, with yourself be patient with your partner and just yeah. like go slow accept the interruptions and talk yeah talk oh my god talk yeah. emotional landmines are there yeah. so let's navigate past them together yeah i mean i think consent you know, we're talking about consent and how important it is no matter what. And I think especially when, and unfortunately this is probably in a lot of relationships, when, when a partner or both partners have gone through something like that, mm-hmm. it adds a whole extra level to the importance of consent um, if somebody has had their consent violated. And so making an extra concerted effort to be cognizant of consent is a really easy way because you should be doing it anyway, ideally, to just make sure that the the people involved really feel good about the situation that they're in um, and that everybody feels open to doing what they're doing yeah. or not doing things that they don't want to be doing at, at any moment. There are a lot of guides out there, which mm-hmm. we won't have time to go through, but, um, and they also just say check by the reading for good resources on healing from sexual trauma. I'm going to give some specific ones, but mm-hmm. I wanted to just sort of say like I wish that there was an easy one two three step we could give right here and right now like dealing like, with trauma yeah like boom yeah. like one two three but I don't I think it's just so personal and different for yeah. everyone yeah. that it would be it would be so different and I think that's why Dossie and um and Janet don't go into how to to navigate this yeah. as a trauma survivor because right. it's so personal depending on if you went through like a medical trauma or the age that you had your assault yeah. or whatever yeah. It's going to change the way that you mm-hmm. have to navigate this. Yeah. Um, and also, I think I, one thing I don't mention this, but that I want to say before I give further readings is um, it it might recur. You might do like all the good work. Uh-huh. And then let's say you um, like years later, like you hear that your your assailant has passed away or your uh-huh. assailant is back in the area or or you meet someone that kind of looks a bit like them, like something can trigger you. Right. years later mm-hmm. so make sure that you're you're like don't expect it to be like a hey i did steps one to seven and now i'm like right. healed right <laughs> like right. going through trauma fucking sucks surviving right. it is an everyday right. thing and then it will become a weekly thing and then it will become a monthly right. thing and i'm sure that after a while it becomes the kind of thing that yeah. that you're just more resilient and able to do yeah. when when you get this yeah. I've, I've done a little bit of reading about it outside of this, partly to do with this chapter and partly for other reasons. Um, and one of the things that I've seen a lot of people talk about when they talk about it is like, and like a lot of things in life, like, you know, it's, you can't, it's there, it will be something that you'll have to carry with you, but you get better at, at carrying it and it comes up less and less and you learn how to cope with it and to move past it and not to not let it um, control you. Um, and like, like Claire just said, like, you, you know, it's, it's not just like you can magically make it go away, but you can, 
yeah. it will get better mm-hmm. and you can move past it and you will be okay don't give up that's, don't give up. that's the part of this that mm-hmm. i want everyone to listen to the most <laughs> yep, don't give up okay and they well, they say in this part of the book the mm-hmm. like give further readings but actually i didn't like the further readings given in, mm-hmm. in the book i thought they were a bit out of touch and they weren't specific enough so i'm going to give my own because i okay. have a lot of research on this cool, cool. um the first one I want to give is Coping with Trauma-Related Disassociation, and it's a skills training book for both patients and therapists mm-hmm. um, from the Norton series on interpersonal neurobiology. And all of these we'll have to put in the show notes. Um, yeah. So it's a skills training book. Um, disassociation is uh, a very common side effect of trauma um, in which a person basically doesn't feel like their body is their own anymore or that they can have... Uh, they have to like split themselves in some way to, to mm-hmm. be able to cope with everyday activities. Maybe you just feel a generic sense of mm-hmm. numbness and at the extreme, it can even be like periods where you don't actually remember things um, mm-hmm. or you can't even like feel certain parts of yourself in the same way. So mm-hmm. it's a very, um, very serious byproduct of, of assault mm-hmm. and of rape and of abuse. Mm-hmm. So this skills training book is great. Um, one for like relationships for survivors as well is called Trust After Trauma. It's kind of an old book. It's by great name, Aphrodite Matsakis. <laughs> Isn't that a great name? I like it. Um, who wrote a guide to relationships for survivors and those who love them. It is really old now. It's over 10 years old, but, oh, it's over 20 years old. Um, but it comes highly recommended. Good. Okay. Um, then... One for, for male survivors, because they use a lot of gender, um, gender-inclusive language in this book, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, being a survivor of abuse and assault as a man has a whole other level of like being free from sexism in it, because there's, there's, so, there's a, a completely different like dynamic that's mm-hmm. being, that's being yeah. utilized in an assault there. Mm-hmm. So um, Evicting the Perpetrator, a, a Male Survivor Guide to Recovery from Childhood Sexual Abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, this is by Ken Singer, and it's, a, it's got a unique perspective about moving past the ways that abusers can control a survivor's life, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, there are obviously great narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there's a bunch of books and stuff in, mm-hmm. um, that are online that might give you comfort. Um, but I'm just focusing on... Yeah. On workbooks. The final one I want to give you is um, Overcoming Trauma and PTSD, a workbook integrating skills from ACT, DBT, and CBT, a new Harbinger self-help workbook. That's a name. <laughs> Sorry, it's a really long name. Um, but that, again, is like a tool book, like learning. So you have active tools for managing to, like, handle your... your um, you're like, I don't know, triggers yeah. and whatever. That's good. Um, that's by Sheila Raja. Mm-hmm. I think that's enough for now. I also just want to shout out a podcast called I Survivor by Wondery. Um, they do a weekly, I think, podcast. They have these guests on and they're talking about trauma survivors. Cool. Okay, that's all my further reading. I'm sorry, that's um, so much. Yeah. Can we move on to the next section? Sure. I, I was just going to add one other thing uh-huh. on there. And besides further reading... Um, and everybody will heal differently. So if, if you are going through something, do what you think is best for you. We're not therapists. Um, but seeing a therapist or finding a support group or finding people to talk to can also be good things. Uh, it's different for everybody. Um, but definitely don't go through it alone. Um, you know, there are people out there who who want to be there for you or can be there for you. And... Unfortunately, this is something that is real in society, and there will be people there for you if you need them. So don't be afraid to reach out. Yeah, I think the reality, the reality of this is, unfortunately, I think most people have gone through something like this, yeah. and we don't talk about it enough as a society, so you're going to feel isolated. I think you're right. Yeah. Reaching out to a counsellor, yeah. or even just starting to talk about it if you feel comfortable openly yeah. with friends. Yeah. Okay. And if you don't feel comfortable with friends, use Reddit. Everybody's a stranger. There, I got my Reddit shout out. Oh my for god, the day. you were Reddit. It's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Um, the next section. Um, so we've talked about for for victims and survivors. The next is for those who have been accused. I, and I thought it was interesting and good that they included this. Um, and so this is my thought on it. Um, 
the first thing they say is, um, if you've done something that I'm just going to read directly, if you've done something that left a partner feeling traumatized, you have a different problem. Um, and the human nature and our tendency is that if we've been accused of something, we want to tell our side of the story and defend ourselves. I mean, that's a, that's a human response to being accused. Um, but if you have been accused, you need to take a step back and understand why. Um, and in this case, I think it's more talking about those sort of gray area things. Um, I really hate this gray area I, I understand. Thing. I, know, but, I know what you mean, but like, I wish we had a better term for it. You know? Yeah, because they're not mild. I don't, I mean, like, I, I don't think we should be debating the, the gradations of, of assault and abuse. We're not. Like, they're, they're all I'm bad. I'm not having that they're discussion. All equal, they're all equally bad. <laughs> they're but, all but shit. I, I think in those situations, like, where they're talking about being pushy or, are, you know, being a little bit too intense or, or pushing a little bit too hard or sort of... Or even, like, if you're with someone and they, they get triggered by something you're doing. Right. And you're like, I just, you know, kiss the back of your neck and you don't right. realize that that has triggered the whole thing. Right. In, no, in none of these situations is the best response for you as the accused to start getting defensive. Because right. it's just so, un, like, unconstructive. Right. Um, and so what they say, and I underline this, but you might want to look around and see if there's anything you'd like to change in your behavior. Yeah, like, like, like taking it as a, a teaching moment. Sorry, I really hate yeah. that. Ding, ding. Quote mm-hmm. marks. Teaching moment. Um, they come back to this idea. Um, and I'm going to read another bit of the line. You know, people have been taught that getting laid, air quotes, ding, ding. is about getting away with something. You know, like it's this... We've talked about this, like, it's just commodity, like, you're trying to get, like, you're, you're trying to get it, you know, it's in short supply. Um, and so having an active sex life is sort of like consumerism, like, you're trying to get it. How do you get it with as little effort as possible? Um, and that's the wrong way to look at it. Um, yeah, I mean, what they say here is, like, having that, having that as, like, the thing that you, it is the way that you see sex, it's not necessarily bad, but acting on it right. is a problem. right. Because it makes the person that you're with an object that you need to get. Right. Um, I, I mean, they don't say that in the book, but that's that's how I read it. Um, so it says if you're in a situation where you've been accused, it's scary to be yeah. accused, I'm sure. Um, but it's you're like it's not like you are not the most important person in that conversation. Right. Essentially, uh, behavior that may have frightened or hurt another um, is like part of the person that you are. And you have yeah. to kind of take ownership of that, but also be like, I have many parts. Right. How do I address this? Um, I think this whole section is a lot about like, how does, if you've been accused, how do you right. um, adequately and appropriately honor that information right. within yourself? Right. And, and like Claire just said, like if you've been accused or if you've done something and it's, it's triggered your partner, like don't, like the, the right response in that situation is not to be defensive. It's to take a step back. And just because somebody's responding in the moment doesn't mean that they are like holding it against you directly. Like it, it like we were saying before about a, a trigger response, you know, it may have nothing to do with you specifically. Yeah. Um, and being able to take a step back and understand that for future it is a good thing. And to be able to go forward and to communicate. And again, if you're with someone that you know has been through trauma right. and then they accuse you of, of hurting, traumatizing, making mm-hmm. them scared, crossing a boundary, mm-hmm. um, you 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 should take the responsibility for that mm-hmm. and be like, okay, this is how you feel. I I can help. Right. Like, this is a moment where we can work through this. Obviously, if this is a hard boundary that you've crossed, then yeah, uh, anger. But like, yeah, don't do that. What I'm saying is, if if this is happening within the context of an existing relationship, there are there are more tools available for you as couples to utilize. Right. Go back to further reading. I just said mm-hmm. comes back to communication. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so, so it's a shorter section on those who have been abused. Yeah. Um, accused, sorry. <laughs> Very different. Yep. Um, different things. Do you think it's because they just really didn't want to write about people that have been accused? Because I, mean, I didn't like reading this section. I don't know. I mean, again, like, there's, like, being accused of, like, assaulting somebody, and that's pretty, like... Yeah, they don't, they don't talk about that kind of accusation here. Right. They are talking specifically about doing something that's left a partner feeling traumatized, which right. could be an assault, but it also could be yeah. like the person feels traumatized because of right. other, yeah. uh, like, less, like, drug, rapey, molestation right. moments. And, and more um, just like, yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so they move on to give um, what they call for everyone, which I'm mm-hmm. guessing is what they call, quote, victim and villain, and they use quotation marks yeah, for those. Or for, like, the community as a whole. And, yeah, for the community as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, they give four things that don't work, like strategies that do mm-hmm. not work, which are pathologizing, split... Pathologizing, sorry. Pathologizing, splitting, truth-seeking, and blaming, which we're mm-hmm. now just going to go over one by one, I think. Yeah. Cool. Let's start with pathologizing. Um, and that is, so turning the response or the reaction into some kind of disease. And like as though it's just something that can be cured. Yeah, or you even know. just giving it a diagnosis as a solution. Like, right. okay, so for example, let's say that the person stays with their abuser. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're being like regularly emotionally physically sexually abused like mm-hmm. it's a pretty standard pattern of like mm-hmm. marital or spousal abuse uh but they stay they stay in that that situation um we have tended in the past to cause battered wife syndrome like in mm-hmm. the 70s mm-hmm. or stockholm syndrome mm-hmm. and what that does is it uh, kind of allows us as a community to uh be like okay we've given it a name we don't have to go any further. Like, we don't need to look into, like, the economic and social structures that would require this person to stay in an abusive situation. We can just kind of give it a name and move on. And especially if it's called syndrome, then everything right. will be fine because syndrome is such a great word for right. what is not a medical term but will weirdly sound like one. Well, and it's also like these, like, taking these really complex things, actions and responses and behaviors and, like, summing up in one word. Um, I mean, kind of like what they say here, like, is a person a predator, a sociopath, a victim of Stockholm Syndrome, Mm -hmm. a victim of the patriarchy, whatever else? Um, And they said pretty much all of us act like all of these on occasion. Like, people are multifaceted, complicated things. You can do something sometimes that's not great. That doesn't make you that thing. But pathologizing is when you just paste a label on it and then end the discussion as if, like, we've done it. Right. Okay. So... So don't do that. That doesn't work. That's not good. All right. Number two is splitting. Mm-hmm. So this is um, what, what they describe as a psychological defense in which um, basically we kind of like split people into good and bad. So if you mm-hmm. did one thing bad, then that means that you're a bad guy or a bad person. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding. Air quotes. Mm-hmm. But if you... <laughs> um, and, and therefore can just kind of like be exiled, like you're done. Oh, you did one bad thing? Get the fuck no. out. Um, and they, they do say that this, this can divide whole communities yeah. because it makes people kind of choose a side and there's no accommodation for change or growth right. if you do this. Yeah. I mean, there are b- bad people in the world who have bad intentions and there are people who just make a mistake. And if you assume the first and don't, you know, don't give any leeway for the fact that people make mistakes and are, are willing to work, do the work to fix the mistakes, then... That's not good either. Yeah, I think if you were to actually split the society like this and like run a community like this, you'd end up with like a community of none because people are not perfectly good or perfectly evil. They make mistakes. They are multifaceted. Like, as you said earlier, like it's generally more complex. Basically, all of these are like the truth resists simplicity to take a term of Hank Green. All of these will be about try and distill it down to one thing and, right. and they're not helpful for the society. And I actually, I actually have two examples of splitting. Shall I give them out? Please do. They came like, so I was thinking about this in terms of social media. Oh. Mm-hmm. Did you just see it? Yeah, I just saw you have <laughs> open on your computer and I'm yeah. like, aha. Because I typed this up and I was like, mm. Okay. So I was thinking about this in terms of social media. Like nowadays, like let's imagine the whole of social media is one like big community. Yep. And then somebody does one thing bad. It's called, I think it's called, like, cool, yeah, it's, oh, I can't remember the term for it. I think it's, like, milkshake duck. Like, milkshake duck is, like, I don't, okay. Uh, this is, this is for another time. Milk, but, milkshake but duck. It's, it's this phenomenon of where, like, you are beloved by the internet, and then um, you do one thing wrong, and the whole internet, like, internet town just goes, like, no, we hate you all of a sudden. Yeah. So, for example, like, Ariana Grande is beloved by everyone, and then recently there's been, like, this surge of people being, like, yeah, but she's pretty angry brown. And everyone was, like, fuck Ariana Grande, yeah. like, so vigorously, like, swings the other way. Um, and within that context, I thought about two examples where someone 
who's trying to be a good person. I genuinely do think they just seem to be trying to be a good person. Um, they say something, and the whole of internet, mm. internet town, like, went against them. So internet the first one ones. was Aziz Ansari. Do you know the story of Aziz yes. Ansari? Do you, I, wanna, do you feel confident was, enough to, like, give an overview of Aziz Ansari's story? I can story? try. I believe I was in Peace Corps at the time, so my internet connection was limited. Um, <laughs> I can imagine you, like, on some sort of dial-up, like, oh, trying desperately God. to get the story of it Aziz Ansari in, like, Malawi. So, from, so what I remember of this story was that Aziz Ansari, if you don't know, is a famous actor. And is, feminist. And feminist. And seems to be a genuinely good guy from, from everything that I can see online. But at some point, I guess he, he went on a date with a woman um, and they ended up at his place and some things happened there. Um, okay, do you know what? This is actually really interesting because I've done the research on it and you haven't. So Let's see I, what I know from yeah. social media world. Okay. Um, and from, from my recollection of this, it was a couple of years ago now, I feel like. Um, I, I don't know, there was like they were having some drinks at his place and I think he tried to make a move or, or something or like s- escalate the situation that had arrived from them going on a date and getting back to his place as one might do in that situation. Um, and she was not happy with that or felt violated in some way. Um, but basically then later on social media put him on blast and was like, Aziz Ansari is like a sexual predator or something or is like assaulted me and really went like, Orwood. And there was a huge outcry online of like, oh my God, like Aziz Ansari is an awful person. He's like assaulting people. He's doing this. He's like, that's my recollection of it. Okay. Like it was like. Okay. So what, what actually happened was um, a completely anonymous 23 year old posted on babe.net um, and said that the, she went on a date with Aziz Ansari, who is an outspoken feminist mm-hmm. and like a vocal advocate of the hashtag me too movement, which was yeah. going on at the moment at that time. Right. Um, and she tells the story of like where like she she has been feeling uncomfortable and she voices the concern, tries to persuade her into having sex, and uh, and and basically Anzaro just doesn't really um, doesn't really like take the gravity of her discomfort with the weight that later the internet would claim he should have, mm-hmm. or in that in the moment I would hope that he would have, mm-hmm. right. So what we're not going to do on this podcast is discuss whether or not Aziz Azari was right or wrong or mm-hmm. what this quote-unquote grace, that's the name mm-hmm. she gives herself, is. But I think that the way that we reacted as a community was splitting. We mm-hmm. were split Aziz Azari and was like, oh, you're no longer a good guy. Right. You did this, this bad thing and now you cannot be part of the community. Right. Get out. Right. Or the flip side of it was people are like, no, she's... Like, there were people on there who were, like, defending him and saying, no, like, he was just an awkward guy. So it not only who... splits him, it also splits the community. Right. Um, and a very similar thing happened with Kevin Hart that we might get into because it's much more recent. And it was about homophobia. And mm-hmm. there was a much more of a dialogue between several communities going on. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. the black community was having their, their thing to say. The, the acting community had their thing to say. The, mm-hmm. the men had that thing to say. The gays yeah. had something to say. But again, it was splitting him as like, oh, you're a guy who, who did something that we have decided as a community we're not, we're not okay with. Mm-hmm. And so now you just can't be part of the community at all. Mm-hmm. And as Dossie Easton and Janet Harney say, like, that doesn't really give a lot of accommodation for change or growth. Right. And you end up with a very small community. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a good segue into the next, mm-hmm. the next one they talk about, which is truth seeking. Again, it's um, a strategy that don't work. <laughs> right. And I think this ties into the, to the, to the splitting idea where you have two parties involved, possibly more, I suppose. Um, and you have one person saying that, you know, this person did me wrong. They did this bad thing. It's all on them. And the other person is insisting that, you know, they didn't, that it's the other person who's making this up, who's um trying to get back at them or that it was you know that they were misunderstood or something else or the situation was different um and you know it's like again it's like the they said they said like you know z said z said there we go we'll just use gender inclusive pronouns um you know and you can't if if everybody's just going to say that they were 100 percent right and the other person was 100 percent wrong and like they're dead set on like you know speaking the truth then there's no room for 
growth or understanding of what really happened or that's interesting i read this part differently really yeah what i read this as was like as a community if you focus too much on getting to the truth of it um then then you're you're kind of it's kind of comes down to like well i guess we'll never know and then you just kind of mm-hmm. like as a collective community shrug your shoulders and move on with your day um whereas really mm-hmm. in a situation where it's like so and so did me wrong it's about what can we do right now at this time with the resources we have to make the situation a little better mm-hmm. irregardless of like well I guess the truth will just evade us forever. Mm. Shrug and leave. Like, that's not helpful for a community. Right. I mean, I also think, like, trying to get to the truth, like, whatever the truth of the situation was, like, whatever the people's intention was at the time or what they did, mm-hmm. doesn't really matter at that point because that's separate of the fact that somebody is feeling wrong and it doesn't help you fix it. Like, knowing exactly what happened doesn't help you fix the situation and move past it. Okay. So the so. fourth pathology is similar to that. Mm-hmm. They call it blaming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's definitely like very, very tied to the truth seeking. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's being like, okay, so now we know what happened. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, but whose fault is it? Mm-hmm. Right. So like, let's say you've moved on from the. Oh, I guess we'll never know. You found out the truth. Like, let's mm-hmm. say you've been prosecuted. Now it's like, well, okay, this happened, but who did this first? And mm-hmm. like, let's rationalize it and. Mm-hmm when we try and feel safe by minimizing mm-hmm. like one person or another person mm-hmm. or even ourselves, because they do talk a bit about blaming yourself here. Mm-hmm. If you are a victim of trauma or assault, mm-hmm. um, you will probably go through a period where you try and blame yourself. Mm-hmm. That's like very standard step. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like everyone goes to this hot, like weird period where you're like, mm, but maybe it was my fault. And like, no other like no one gets mugged and is like you know what yeah i probably shouldn't have been maybe they do i don't know because i've never been mugged but mm-hmm. but i feel like with sexual assault and trauma it's really specifically like the victim will probably end up mm-hmm. feeling feeling the blame yeah so you try and feel safe by minimizing your own involvement and blaming someone else so that's when you're trying to like you try like you go through that that part where you've blamed yourself and now you're like no it was 100% the attacker's fault or is a hundred percent my abuser's fault, but what you're actually doing there as well is disempowering yourself because you're mm. you're taking away any version of you in there that had control over anything. And whilst that feels really safe and it feels really comforting in the short term, in the long term, in a lot of the literature and including in this book, you you end up feeling like you don't really have any power at all. Right. You give the other mm-hmm. all of the power. Right. because you're blaming them entirely so you go through the self-blame mm-hmm. then you're like okay i'm going to give the other person all the blame because that feels safe mm-hmm. and then what you've ended up with is just feeling kind of like mm-hmm. it feels like you don't have any power in anything including your own healing so that also doesn't work on a person and it doesn't work for mm-hmm. a society yeah um the last thing they talk about which i always feel like needs like I feel like it's something that people should be cognizant of or aware of is like um, victim blaming. Um, you know, these things and you hear them like more than you should, which is never, but like, you know, it happened because they were dressed a certain way or they drank too much or they were looking too sexy or like, be, you know, well, of course that happened because that's something that you did before. So of course it was going to happen. Like, like all these things that sort of like putting it on, somebody um and of that's the victim of assault of the victim of assault um yeah also won't work as a strategy no also won't work as a strategy um and then the last thing they say in there which i think is good to point out like th- just to make things more confusing what feels like violation to one person might be easy for another and a third might see it as play mm-hmm. like you know everybody comes in with different we all have different viewpoints and different boundaries and different uh, limits and, and different desires um, and you really have to take a step back when you're thinking about these things and not look at it through the lens of who you are mm-hmm. but you know look at how the person is reacting and, and who they are and, and whatever they're feeling and responding to is valid um, like no matter that. what you think so I, I think like that's that. important like you can't judge somebody else's behaviors based on your own personality I think that's a really good point so 
which they they should I think they they should have explored that further that mm. part of it. Okay, so after they've gone through these these strategies that don't work either for an individual or for a community, mm. um, they do give like a couple of paragraphs to where you might be able to find strategies that do work. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you want to build a contract of consent mm-hmm. and you know that these things don't help, mm-hmm. right? How do you create a sex positive culture that deals mm-hmm. proactively and constructively with any violations of consent? And mm-hmm. how do you create a culture where consent is more likely mm-hmm. to be honored? Um, so do you want to pull out some of the conflict resolution strategy resources that they or sources that they have identified? Mm-hmm. Did you did any of them stand out to you? Um a little bit. I mean, so one thing they talked about is like restorative justice in American high schools, mm-hmm. middle schools, which is not saying that I saw in my middle school and high school days. And I'm not American, so. No. Um, but, you know, this idea that they're, they're trying to start now with, with kids, with, with younger people to make conflict resolution and discussing problems and open communication part of learning and part of like sort of your toolkit of life skills in high school. Which I think is really cool. And, and that's should... really, like, really cute, but I didn't know that that happened. I didn't know that that happened either, and I feel like it's probably a minority of schools. We should find those I schools. I should look into that more. If you have kids, go to those schools, because that sounds mm-hmm. great. Um... They also talk about um, some areas where resources might be available. So mm-hmm. nonviolent communication workshops, anger management classes, conflict mm-hmm. resolution classes. Um like obviously we've already mentioned support groups for offenders and mm. for survivors mm-hmm. so both ideally i would imagine separate support groups but mm-hmm. i don't know um these are all places where you might be able to find resources that mm-hmm. in your particular culture or in your particular sort of yeah. personal circle help to create a culture of consent um and then i guess this is the only part that's speaking specifically about polyamorous culture yeah. right because it's talking now about when we have when we like have a community that can approve new members and make sure you have information on ethics and boundaries within mm-hmm. that community, it becomes a lot easier to create that culture. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about play parties. Mm-hmm. Like if you go to a play party, mm-hmm. you know that you're going to have like or like a sex club or whatever. It's like consent is is part of the rules. Like you, if you want to come in here, yeah. you need to abide by these. These should be obvious everywhere, but here it's like there in black mm-hmm. and white. And if you don't, then you get out. We have the right to insist that people that are bullying or limit pushing or doing other kind of problematic behaviors, they have to leave and they have to do the work before they can come back. Yeah. And that that is an example of a subculture where we, I guess we can kind of be more like yeah. um, intentional about mm-hmm. the way that we build a culture of consent. Yeah. I think even more broadly than that, if, if you know, looking at it from the lens of polyamory, like you're creating this network of partners, yeah, um, which may expand as more people join and more people have more partners, and you're and being intentional in your life about the importance of consent with each of your partners. Mm-hmm. You know, we we can only make this apparent to everybody if if we're all doing it. So if I engage in a new relationship, and I make consent and discussing these things a priority. Maybe the, the my new partner, that's not something they've done before, but this now sets an example. Mm, and then they really can carry point. that forward. Yeah, that's such know. a good point. Um, and, you know, whether it's that or even talking to other friends, even if they're monogamous. Yeah. About right. these things and like the things that you talk about. And, you know, people talk about sex regardless of their orientation. Like talking about these things and how you address it and how you build on it and how you address these things. Like you set the example. And when you talk about it and you're like, yeah, and this happened, but this was okay because this and this and this, mm. it, it, you know. Yeah, it, like even okay. I imagine having a conversation with a monogamous friend right. about the kind of, what I imagine from the outside looks like a vast web of intricately laid boundaries mm. right. over your whole polycule. Like, okay, you can use protection and you have to use protection in these situations, but this kind of protection needs to be used in this kind of situation. Mm. And these names... Like baby girl and daddy, those are names that only usually two people can use within that that little yeah. like um, dyad. Um, like I imagine being a monogamous person outside of that and hearing yeah. someone talk about this and being like, "Wow, well if you can have yeah. all of these boundaries being honoured, right. I can probably 
double check with my girlfriend slash boyfriend slash partner mm-hmm. that they want to be having, I don't know, whatever sex you're having that day. Oh, yeah, he sneezed. I sneezed. <laughs> we haven't captured a sneeze um, before. Yeah, and the, so the last thing that they say in there, um, we can't prevent every problem. Like, things will happen. Things mm. will happen sometimes unintentionally. Um, but if we create a sex-positive culture, we deal with things proactively and constructively and openly, um, then when we do face problems, we'll have the tools to deal with them. That's a really good place to leave it. Yeah, I, I try Okay, we've got just enough time to talk about their kind of vignette at the end. Yeah. Do you want to... Okay, called... it's really cute. It's really cute. It's called Clean Love. I think, like, after this chapter, which had so much about, like, really negative and hard things, they yeah. deliberately made this so nice. Yeah. So Clean Love is just love without expectations. And yeah. I don't know if you wanted to that's the one that's the one sentence that i underlined in the section clean love is love without maybe we should just read this in a calming soothing voice would you like me to do it yeah yeah i do i want you to just read this to me because it's so just like whatever part of it you want because it's so lovely Uh, i may just read some sections out of it i'm gonna read can you imagine love without jealousy without possessiveness love washed clean of all its clinginess and desperation let's try Imagine seeing the beauty and virtues of a beloved and letting go of how their strengths might meet our needs or how their beauty might make us look better. Imagine meeting another person in the freedom and innocence of childhood and playing together without plotting how to make this person give us the kind of love we wish we could have gotten in our actual childhood. Love doesn't much take to being stuffed into forms, which is what everybody's fantasies and imaginings are custom-built plans for a construction constructed individual they've created to solve all their problems. Your authors have dream lovers, too, but people are not made of clay or stone, and it won't work well to approach them with a chisel. Um, That's so beautiful. And then the, the last sentence, I skipped some paragraphs, but clean love is love without expectation. Um, and I just think that's really... I also highlighted the last section, which the last sentence, which is... Um... Just for now, take a look at the wonderful person who is standing right in front of you. And that's how they end the chapter. And it made me... I'm actually kind of crying a little bit. Oh, you're looking at me. <laughs> oh, we're so soppy. We are. Yeah. But I think that's a nice way. I don't even... There are things I could say about this, but I just want to leave it with those really nice yeah. messages. In which case, we will. We will. Just for now, yeah. take a look at the wonderful person who is standing in front of you. You can find Polly Pages on Instagram at Polly Pages. And if you have any questions or comments for us, please feel free to send them to pollypages at gmail.com. Our awesome intro and outro music is by Mint Green, and you can follow them on Instagram and Linktree at Mint Green Music. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Books.